Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Art Neal is the founder of New Media Rights and practices public interest law in the areas of Internet, intellectual property, privacy, and media law. Art is also an adjunct profession of law at California Western School of Law Teaching, the courses Internet and Social Media Law, as well as the Internet and Media Law Clinic. His book, Don't Panic, is a legal guide for small businesses and creative professionals, and this is what we're going to be covering today. And Carol, I, I know that you think the information in the book is excellent for filmmakers, don't you? Yes, I do, Claire. I know we're going to learn a lot today about trademarking, NDAs, Internet application, disclaimers, privacy law, how to license anything, and much more. Thanks for joining us, Art. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. You know, your book is an excellent uh, source of information. Uh, we all need a book that gives us this kind of legal information so succinctly. I love it where you say, what's the bottom line? You always have that in every chapter about every subject, so you can jump yes. right there if you need to. In our business, we have to know so much that having the uh, book that tells us the answers to the questions is a gift. So let's get started with uh, copyright. First of all, what does copyright law protect? Right, and, and just before I jump into that, I mean, that, that's exactly right. And, and this, the whole book is just about exactly what you just said. It, it's, um, it's all about helping people know what they don't know, right, and when to ask questions and when to go to a lawyer. And so um, a lot of this is about preventative, um, and a lot of this is 10 years of working with non-lawyers who don't have in, you know, in-house counsel there every day with them and trying to help them make better decisions. So that's what the whole book is about for sure. And um, as far as copyright, it's, the, it's our bread and butter here. It's the thing we do most. And copyright is all about protecting your creative expression. So with copyright law, um, as a creator, right, when you create your film, uh, you get quite a bit of rights. You're the only person in the world for so your life plus 70 years, right? So, uh, and that goes for any kind of creative expression. So, if, you know, if my toddler scribbles something at the breakfast table this morning, hopefully they'll have some nice life-extending technology of 200, 300 years, and that, that little scribble will be protected for, for hundreds of years. And so what does it protect? Well, it protects the ability to make copies of that work, you know, so copies of your film. It protects the um, You're the only person in the world that can make derivatives of the film. You're the only person that can distribute, perform, and, and display. And so it's a very powerful um, monopoly, you could say, over creativity with some very important exceptions. And the exceptions are things like fair use, which we'll talk about, I think, and then also things like when you decide to give some of those rights away through permission or what's called a license. So 
I mean, on one, on the one hand, copyright is really important to know because it protects your work, right? And if somebody copies your work wholesale and, you know, uh, doesn't get permission from you, you might have a legal cause of action against them, right? You might have a reason to, to you know, write them a cease and desist or to, to bring a, uh, a lawsuit. But on the other hand, copyright is just as important for you as a filmmaker because it controls your ability to reuse the works of others, right? So if you want to put music in your film or if you want to put a photo or video, you got to know a little bit about copyright law because, as I just said, it protects other people's works just as strongly as it protects yours. Okay. All right. So um, now, how is the copyright protection granted? How is copyright protecting artists? Uh, well, how is it granted? You say in your How's book it it's granted oh, yes, at the sure. moment you create expression. Absolutely. And when you save so, your screenplayers, those, it's, but what about the U.S. Copyright Office? Do we have to go sure. to them, or what do we have to do? Sure. So to get copyright, so that's what copyright protection gives you. To even, so yeah, the preliminary question, how you even get one, you know, that is, uh, there's a couple things you got to have, and that it's got to be fixed in a tangible medium. So in a film context, that's typically, oh, it's saved to, a, saved to your uh, memory card or saved to your hard drive, and you maybe do some edits there. But once it's fixed in a tangible medium, right, once you've taken the, the video and it's, it's saved, um, or, you know, in the physical world, if you've painted on a canvas, then it's protected at that moment. However, to really to, – if you have an issue where somebody's copied your stuff without permission, registering with the Copyright Office can be really, really important. And, you, you know, registering with the Copyright Office uh, is important because if you, if you are registered before the infringement takes place or 90 days from when you publish the work, it could actually be um, very helpful because you can get attorney's fees and you can get uh, statutory damages all the way up to even $150,000. And to be totally frank, and you've probably found this over the years, Carol, I mean, a, a copyright attorney really isn't going to take your case unless you register. Um, and I think it's really difficult to make that choice in this day and age because a lot of people share videos on YouTube, and it does get expensive quickly if you're trying to register 100, 100 videos, right? At, or, or right. if you're trying to register a couple, a couple videos a week, Suddenly it can be, okay, $100, $200 a week, and it can really add up. So I think that um, it's, important to, it's important to look at your work and say, what's the stuff that's really most important? You know, if you've got your feature film completed and you're just about to start showing it at film festivals and, and distributing it, it's definitely time to get that thing registered. If it's a, a one-minute video that you really you know, don't think you're going to have a lot of views to, maybe that's something you don't register. Um, so in this day and age, you kind of have to think, even though it's so protective, you know, when do I register and when do I not register? Uh, so, you know, copyright, as we said, it covers, uh, you know, it's, it's got to be fixed to tangible medium. It covers many types of expression from books to movies to photographs uh, to uh, sound recordings to musical compositions you know, it covers a broad range of works, both in the digital realm and physical realm. Uh, 
Um, the originality bar is very, very low. So as I said, uh, you know, if my toddler's drawing, I'm sure it's very creative, but, you know, at the same time, it, or even a couple paragraphs of an email, there could be some protection over that for copyright law. Um, and so you really have to have those basics. It's got to be that subject matter of copyright, um, and it's got to be fixed in a tangible medium and sufficiently original. But the truth is what that ends up meaning, it, you know, is that when you see things on the Internet out there, when you see a photo or music or video, it's very, very likely that if it's after 1923, it's very, very likely that that work is protected. Um, and so that's something that you should know when you're trying to uh, reuse works. Okay. Well, um, let's go back to the copyright. Do you need to get a lawyer, or can you go online and do it? Right. Um, if you're trying to register a copyright, you know, out of all the big three intellectual property items, right, inventions under patent law or trademarks under trademark law, copyright is the one that you really can do yourself. And you can go to the Electronic Copyright Office at copyright.gov, and you can register there. And I think this is a really good point to make for filmmakers, that some folks sometimes say to me, well, oh, I register with the Writers Guild. Um, and that's just a totally different thing, and it's not the same as protection at the Copyright Office. And you're not going to get any of those benefits I talked about in terms of an attorney being willing to take your case because you could get attorney's fees and statutory damages. So even if you spend the, I think it's 15 or $20 at Writers Guild um, to make sure that, you know, you were the first, uh, clearly the first person who, say, wrote your script or something like that, um, <clears throat> you still want to go ahead and register at the copyright office. And right. it's important to, and, and you can do that online, and you really, really can do that yourself. Um, there are some more complicated cases but I think some of the more complicated cases are kind of outside the world of film. I think it's more in software and video games get a little bit more complicated. So I think that's the time to reach out to an attorney. But if you really do, um, but if, if, you know, and our book has some walkthrough about you know, where to go and how to think about registering copyright. Um, the Copyright Office even has these things on their website called circulars. And they give, I got to say, they actually give, quite good information about how to register and, you know, uh, is it, you know, what you register a certain work as. Um, and so it's something you really can do yourself. Okay, that's great. Well, now let's talk about trademarks. Uh, what yeah. do trademarks protect and what really is a trademark? This is great, yeah. So anybody listening to this show will really come away for their next dinner party with the, they'll be able to distinguish, right? Because everyone throws those words around um, all the time. And, and a copyright, as we said, was all about creative expression, protecting creative expression. A trademark is totally different. It's all about protecting um, consumers from confusion. So that when consumers buy a certain good with a certain brand or name on it, they know the source of that good. And it's all about them associating a certain level of quality, a certain set of attributes with a, with a, with a logo or a trademark, and knowing that every time they're going to buy that product, it's going to have those attributes. And so 
It's very, very different. Um, it's really about names, short phrases, titles. Copyright doesn't protect any of those. It really has to be something more significant than that. But a trade name, trademark, it just has to be used in commerce. So when you see the little Apple symbol on the back of an Apple computer or when you see, um, you know, the Coca-Cola logo on the, on the side of a soda can, um, those are trademarks. And so a trademark is something that people often get to protect, say, um, the name of their business, right? And so they might – and, it, again, a trademark is different from a DBA, from a doing business as, and that's good to know. Um, it's not that – you know, if you need to file a DBA or whatnot, that's fine, but a trademark is something different. And, you know, if you're really using a trademark or a, a word or a set of words repeatedly on goods that you're selling or on your company name and you really, really want to make sure that you're the one um, that, that is able to use that name, it's smart to go to the trademark office and to apply for a trademark. Um, and it's, in that case, I really do recommend working with an attorney I have worked with people over time who have done, um, tried to do it themselves. I've seen too many issues along the way and know that there are so many capable attorneys that can do it for a very reasonable cost um, because if you do it wrong, there's two, problems with, there's two problems with doing it yourself. Either you don't get the, the full level of protection you need, which means that if you ever need to rely on it, it's, it's not as good as it could be. Um, you know, so either you... You, you're too narrow in what you're doing, um, or maybe uh, you know, or maybe you just uh, you file for something that really you shouldn't have filed for in the first place. And what happens there is that then you get into these proceedings at the trademark office, and you do end up having to hire a lawyer, and it becomes much more expensive than sort of taking care of the problem up front. So when it comes to trademarks and trademarking your business name. Uh, you know, it's, it's really smart to get a lawyer to help you with that. The one interesting thing in U.S. law, which is very different from most of the rest of the world, is we have this kind of English tradition where if you just use a mark on a, on a good or service, you get some protection. But again, exactly how much protection you get, you know, <clears throat> can be argued if you don't go ahead and put your name, put the trademark on the federal register, it gives you some advantages later on. If somebody challenges your trademark uh, or if somebody's reusing your trademark, there are some clear advantages to getting that trademark registered. So it's, it's at the time that you're forming the business, it's at the time that you're kind of, when you solidify, okay, I really want to go with this name for, for the, my, the name of my business or this name for the name of this product that's the time to go ahead and consult a trademark attorney. One of the really, really great things that's been going on is that the, <clears throat> there are many, many legal clinics now around the country at law schools all around the country, and, and they do registration of trademark, and they actually do it for just the filing fee. So you don't even – it doesn't cost anything beyond what the fee is. Um, so, you know, you can go to these clinics, at law schools, and they're supervised by experienced trademark attorneys, uh, and you can get your trademark registered that way. Uh, we even, I know we have one here at California Western 
a sister clinic of ours that, that registers trademarks. Uh, we do some trademark work here as well. Uh, but, yeah, trademark is all about uh, your business name, protecting that kind of the business name or the, um, you know, a particular name you want to use on your products or services uh, versus creative expression, which is what copyright was all about. Right. Oh, this is so great. And California Western registers you for the filing fee only. Is that that right? That's right. And it's, yeah, California Western does. And there's actually, um, there are a number of other trademark clinics as well throughout the country. We have, um, and USPTO has a list <clears throat> of, and we actually, in our book, we have a link, we have the link for all the different trademark clinics. Uh, that you can go to for help. And so we have that information as well. And it's a great, great resource for people who need some trademark help. And you know what? Sometimes they might even tell you, hey, this trademark doesn't necessarily make sense. Maybe you should try something else. And even that can be helpful to keep you from, from wasting your time, building up all this goodwill, right, in a name that maybe somebody else was already using. <clears throat> so it's really good to think carefully about your name. I mean, one of the things I've seen a lot over the years, and I think it's more with uh, tech startups than anything else, but they'll pick a name and not think too carefully about it. And then a year or two later after they have a couple thousand users, you know, I'll hear from somebody and say, oh, hey, um, I, we found out that somebody else had our name and we don't know what to do. And then it's very <laughs> difficult because people have, it's not as simple as just changing your business name because you might have a bunch of users of a website or of an app, and then all of a sudden your app or your you know website is changing names, and that's a big that's a big deal. <clears throat> yes, it is a big deal. <clears throat> that's great. It's so good to get it clearly described to us. So let's let's move to chapter three in your book about how to know if they're an employee or an independent contractor. I think this is really important because in the film world, when you hire people, you want to make sure that if they're shooting for you or recording sound for you, that they don't own your project, your sound or your film, right? That's exactly right. And in most of the productions, for most of the productions that <clears throat> I work with, there's usually a core of people um, or, or a particular filmmaker who's kind of the driving force behind the production, and they're doing exactly what you described. They're bringing in, um, you know, a, a small crew, uh, people to come in at various times. Maybe, maybe they hire an editor at the end. Maybe they hire a scriptwriter at the beginning, and, and all sorts of other people along the way. And particularly when you're talking about folks who do creative work, right, people who do the the video recording, the sound recording, the writing of the script, things like that, you want to be very careful because <clears throat> there are many issues with employees and independent contractors, but in terms of for creators and filmmakers, what's really important is that contractors, even if you pay them, uh, own what they create. So what that means is if you don't really get it down in writing, who owns what? and you hire somebody to, say, write a script for you, right? Um, yes. They might, hand, they might hand you that script, and, and you, might have, you might have the right to make your film, but don't be surprised and don't be upset if that person ends up going off 
and making another version because there wasn't really clarity. And you really need to have a, a signed writing when you're working with an independent contractor. With employees, uh, typically the default is that what the employee creates, the company owns. But in a lot of these film products, as we said, it's, most, it's a lot of independent contractor relationships, right? And it's very, very important because it really is all about do you own the stuff that you're creating? And it gets more important than that because in, just, like, just like with a technology startup, a filmmaker may be asked from time to time, I mean, it, it, I guess it's, it's a little more rare that a, that a filmmaker is asked to just uh, assign or give all the rights to their film up to, a, to somebody else. But, you know, even in a licensing or distribution arrangement, right, if you go to Netflix or Amazon or HBO and they're going to distribute your film, well, they're going to have provisions in there that say you own the rights that you say you do. You know, that you're the person that owns the rights to this. And, you know, you could be basically, uh, you know, breaching that contract by saying that you own something you don't. And those kinds of things can come back to, to haunt you. You know, they're the kinds of things that people, people might not want to work with you, you know, if they think that uh, you're not being honest. Even, even if it was an oversight, uh, you know, a, um, an honest oversight, uh, it still could hurt your relationships. And, of course, your relationships when you're making these things are are, um, are everything, and especially with these gatekeepers, right? These are the, you know, there's some there's some very important gatekeepers these days with regards to streaming. I mean, if you, if you close some of these doors to Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, HBO, well, then you're closing some very important doors. Um, and so ownership and being able to show up especially also to investors, right? I mean, investors are, are – I mean, you, you work a lot on this side, I think, Carol, with, you know, funding, and I think investors are not going to be so happy when they see another film popping up six months later that looks a whole heck of a lot like yours. Um, oh, that's right. I mean, I think that an investor would be pretty uh, distraught at that, uh, and and – and they would also be concerned as well about working with you in the future because they'd wonder, you know, do these are these people really acting professionally? And I think that's what a lot of this is all about. Um, a lot of this is about setting expectations of relationships, right? That's what a contract is. is simply the setting of expectations um, for, for a relationship and, you know, agreeing to do something you, you otherwise don't have to do by law. But I think there's a certain element to, you know, it's important what goes in the contract, but it's also important just to, just to give the, um, you know, to give the clear um, message that, you know, we're, we're professional, we know what we're doing. And so it, with, with independent contractors, what it comes down to is you want a really clear contract that talks about ownership and transferring of ownership and who owns what but also that clearly lays out their duties. Um, and if you don't have that, you're just kind of asking for difficulty <laughs> in the relationship. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And this is where uh, really people get into big trouble. If they don't have a clear chain of title, they can't sell their film. So this is the right. most important thing. Okay, right. so... 
All right, then by the same token, let's go on to the NDA, a legal contract that lays out particular material knowledge and information that two parties want to share with each other, but not with any others. So when would I need an NDA? Tell me about that. Right. So, you know, an NDA is an NDA is important, especially for a filmmaker, when they have a really uh, basic kind of idea or they have something that they have that they want to share with a limited amount of people for a, for a limited number of reasons. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it means that if you've got, you know, let's say that you have an idea for a television show or you have an idea for a film. Well, you and I know um, and, you know, that, that a basic idea isn't what's protected by copyright. Copyright's protecting the, the creative expression, right? They, copyright protects the entire, the, you know, the, the Harry, in terms of protecting Harry Potter, it protects the specific storylines. It protects the very detailed characters. It doesn't protect me making a story about a child wizard, right? I can still make a story about a child wizard. But if so, if I come with a really basic idea, this happens. I find a lot with people who have reality show type ideas. <laughs> they want to go pitch a, a station or something, and it's difficult though because not everyone will accept or sign an NDA. I mean, a lot of big production studios will, may just tell you no. But if you can, com- if you do have that kind of pull. Um, what you, what you can do is if you have an idea or you have maybe an early stage script or something like that, but you don't want somebody to just run off and, and take the idea and, and use it elsewhere, an NDA can be helpful, although it's not foolproof, of course, in, again, setting expectations, telling the other party, look, I'm going to disclose this idea to you. I'm going to disclose this script to you. But in return, you agree that you're only looking at it for purposes of whatever it is, for purposes of collaborating with me, for purposes of investing in me, for purposes of, you know, supporting or, or um, uh, working with me in some way. And so an NDA allows you to tell somebody something, um, but prohibits them from going out and just telling the whole world all about it. Uh, and it's, it's not – I've got to say, though, that in the film world, an NDA is even a little bit tougher because it, it's a lot of times what I, what I said there, you know. Certainly, copyright is the thing that really protects – if you have a well-developed script or you have a book or you have a piece of music or a film that's finished, copyright protects that. So, you know, even if you show that to someone, an NDA is kind of irrelevant. And I think that's also important here because – if you have a finished product or you have a pretty well-developed product, uh, I don't, you know, NDAs aren't always that important. And honestly, sometimes if you're starting a relationship, I have to say this, particularly when there's an imbalance, right, and it's a much larger studio or a much larger investor, showing up with an NDA can sometimes have a chilling effect on the relationship, you know, if you're just sitting down for the first time. Uh, I think that sometimes what tech startups do and what filmmakers can do is they can, you know, think about how they could explain to the, uh, 
how they could explain to their investor or to this person in very clear terms, you know, what's going on, but maybe not provide the embellishment and the detail that sort of gives them enough to go make the project themselves. And I think right. that, so, so working, thinking carefully, and I know you talk a lot about this. I saw some of this um, in your material, you know, just working really carefully on your pitch um, and being compelling without sort of giving everything away, <laughs> you know, giving the whole roadmap of this is exactly how you do it. Instead, you know, give the kind of teaser version, the pique their interest, and if they want to go further, then maybe that's the time where you say, okay, I'm glad to kind of get into more detail how I would do this, what we do. Let's let's talk about an NDA. Um, and so that's what right. an NDA is all about. Oh, that's marvelous. Okay, I want to go now to Chapter 8, How to License Anything. You say the bottom line is copyright, patent, trademark, and other laws protect other people's work just like they protect yours. So if you want to reuse something created or invented by someone else, you may need to get permission, and that's called a license. So let's talk about some common licenses that you might read need and start with the writer's agreement. Right. Um, sure. So this is really, really, really important because the, the writer is often writing something before you've ever created anything. And this is why I kind of used it as an example earlier. Uh, if somebody's writing you a script and you didn't really get, um, you know, assignment of the rights to you, or in other words, a transfer of ownership is what an assignment is, um, or it, or you didn't get, you know, license, again, is just written permission. So in this case, let's say you're not getting transfer of ownership. You're just getting the right to do those things that we talked about earlier under copyright law. So in this case, you're making a derivative of somebody's script. So you really want to make sure, um, you know, I think in a lot of cases, if somebody's really hiring a writer to do the writing, I think a full assignment makes sense. But if you're not transferring ownership, um, you want to be really clear about how you can use that script. You know, can you go and make future adaptations of the script? Um, <clears throat> are you only allowed to use the script in in certain ways? Um, you know, maybe, like I said, maybe only for this version, and then uh, maybe the, the writer has the right to, you know, to say who ha who is able to develop adaptations. And so that's the thing about licenses I think that's really important to remember is that you can, a license can be as broad as you want. I mean, can almost, a license can be so broad that it can almost be like transferring ownership. For instance, if you call it an exclusive license, right, uh, to all the rights worldwide and perpetual, which means forever, that's a pretty broad license. That's almost like ownership. But you could also make a very, very narrow license that says, you know, you only have a licensing right to, uh, you know, to, to um, develop this one film. And then you can, maybe there are other, maybe there's, um, you know, other kind of restrictions. Often distribution agreements, there's uh, restrictions as far as uh, geography, you know. Um, and so, so, yeah, writer agreement, um, very, very important to get uh, all the rights that you need to, to develop this film and then any series of sequels that you want to do.
Okay, so uh, Carol, can you still hear us? Oh, yeah, sorry. <clears throat> I was on mute there for a minute. Uh, sure. What about material release that allows you to use a photo, a video, or other copyrighted work? Right. So this is materials releases are critical in film, and they're especially critical in documentary film. I mean, how can you tell a story? How can you uh, tell a story without using uh, photo, video, newspaper articles? Uh, you know, and some of these documentaries cover things that happened 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago. And so a materials release, if you have somebody who owns a photo, video, or copyrighted work, and you want to use that in your, uh, in your work, uh, you can go to folks, and again, you go to them, and you just be really thorough and say exactly how you're going to use the work. Look, I want to have the photo appear three times, and I think it's really important for folks to be clear. I find that working with folks from Southern California, everybody thinks that they're sort of have this big bankroll from, from Hollywood and that they're going to be able to pay this huge amount for every license, <laughs> and it's just not true. Um, so I think being really clear with with the license or um, the people who are licensing it to you, you know, what what's going on? Are you, is it an educational documentary? Is it a, a short film? Um, you know, is it, you know, be very clear about what the use is. Be very clear if you're not working for, say, a huge studio um, and try to make sure you negotiate because they'll, they'll come back to you probably with a very, you know, usually a high price to start. But if your production is not really, you know, you're not doing this production for, say, a large movie studio, there's usually a lower uh, price that you can get for that license. But materials releases are, you know, absolutely critical because films are, are this sort of collage work, you know. <laughs> there's so much creative work that goes into it, uh, everything from, and, and from different people, right? It could be the, yes. the artists and animators in an animated situ situation. Even documentaries have a lot of animation now. Um, there can even be uh, sound effects and, and, of course, music. Um, and then, of course, there's also the, the script and things like that. So it's, it's collage work, and you want to make sure you've got everything you use in that film uh, that needs to be released, released. And, uh, and the only exception being some things that might be um, – permitted, allowed under fair use. Right. Well, I, I know as a nonprofit that often we uh, go for a license. We step between the filmmaker and the licensee so that we, or a licensor, so that we get a discount. Because uh, ah. when they go in and say they are working through a nonprofit, making a doc or a chart or something, um, right. and they start to negotiate a price, many of them will say, well, just have the uh, nonprofit bill us. And so we do that. Uh, and that also gives you a really good discount. So anyone who's listening, you might check your own nonprofit and see if they help you that way. Because it, uh, it is this is a fee that is negotiable. You're right. Right, and I think that's a great point. That you know, it's it's a lot for a single film to go off and start a nonprofit. And so you know, the kind of things that, that you're doing there. Um, and that other folks do with providing fiscal sponsorship are really important to take advantage of, especially when somebody's doing a documentary or otherwise. 
Because I think I think you're right that wherever you show up, whether it's for donors or or investors or um, or even to get a materials release, it makes a difference to be able to say, look, we're a le- we're part of a legitimate 501c3, you know, as opposed to just because then they they have something to reference them, and they can really justify giving you that that lower price. Um, so that is yes. really important. That's right. Well, now let's go to something I find very complicated and does uh, confuse a lot of filmmakers. It's music licensing because it's awesome, but it can be very confusing. So (laughs) let's start with you have a really good chapter in here, how to ask for a license. So let's talk about that. Right, right. Um, Well, I mean, as far as, uh, as far as, music licensing goes, I mean, you're absolutely right. Music is the most, um, the most difficult area of, of the law, um, in ter- of copyright law at least. And part of that just starts with what music is. Music is, you know, it's a number of things. It's the musical composition, right? That's the notes written down on the page, but it's also the sound recording. And so if you, if you start to think that each of those is unique, the composition and the sound recording, and each of those has five rights attached to it that I talked about earlier, the right to copy, the right to perform, the right to create derivatives, it suddenly becomes very, very complicated. And when you use a piece of music, like a, if you use a, a song you really like, you use some sound recording of a song you really like in your film, you need to have not just the rights to the sound recording itself, but also the what's called the publishing rights, the musical composition rights. And so we, I think that what happens is, um, I think what's really important when you do, you know, if you are going for a music license and you're reaching out to a record company or a publisher, remember that they're getting, especially a larger publisher or recording company is getting requests all the time. And luckily, they do have departments that do this. All of that said, if you don't come prepared and ask in a very clear way, um, you could get ignored because they're used to being asked in a very specific kind of way, right? And so before you even before you even send a request to a, uh, a publisher or a recording house, think, of, think about how you're going to use that song. Is it background music for a for a feature film? Um, and when is it going to be used? Is it you know is it going to be used in the opening and closing credits? That often gets a different price than being used in different areas of the film. Is it is it the focal point used repeatedly? Um, is the focal point of a scene? Is it used repeatedly throughout the film? How many times are you using it for? How long? Uh, and think through exactly, again, think about what type of project it is. You know, is it an educational documentary or is this intended to be, you know, a big fictional film and, 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 and you know, uh, go to movie theaters and things like that? What formats are you going to release it in? This is really important. A lot of times folks, uh, recording companies, publish, they'll give you rights to, they'll give you rights to go to film festivals, Right. But the right yep. to go to a film festival, that's just one right. You also need rights if you want to 
you know, if you want to play it in theaters, you need theatrical rights. If you want to put out DVDs and Blu-rays, you need those rights. If you want to offer online streaming, um, you also need those rights. Now, one thing you can do, and I've seen filmmakers do this, is you could hedge your bets a little bit. Sometimes folks will get rights for film festival and maybe DVDs. Um, It's hard to not get the online streaming rights these days because it seems so important. But sometimes people will um, get an option for those. So sometimes they'll say, you know, uh, you have the right within a year to pay a couple thousand dollars and then you have the right, then that will give you the right to online stream as well. And so those are all things to know about. And, and what I'm getting to here is that those are all things you should have thought about before you ever send your request. So, you know, then quickly, you know, or sorry, then, then you're able to go and, you know, search and identify who actually owns the, uh, owns the work, who owns the, uh, who owns the song recording, which music publishing house publishes the music. And then when you make your request, you can be, because you ask those questions beforehand, as specific and as clear as possible, um, and you want to just be really clear with that licensing representative exactly what it is that you need. Um, because if you're not, you create this sort of back and forth where they might just give up. I mean, you want to say, look, I want to use 30 seconds of it. There's going to be 15 seconds in the opening credits, and this is the type of film it is, and this is the, I need the rights to DVD streaming, theater, and film, and, um, and uh, you know, film festival. So let me know. <laughs> and you want to be as clearly as clear as possible because um, otherwise it can, it can really uh, slow things down. Absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, in uh, the remaining time we have, let's uh, talk about fair use, because that fits right here. Sure. Sure. Uh, So fair use, yes, this is, uh, you know, uh, this is is the area of law that we work in the most. And if folks are interested um, in fair use, we also, in learning more about it and becoming more capable with it, um, since we have to do it almost every day as filmmakers and video creators uh, these days. Fair use, uh, there's an app on our website at newmediarights.org slash fair use. And what fair use is all about is I told you that copyright protects photos and videos and music and all these things. Um, but what, you know, for, for life plus 70 years in many cases, well, Fair use is a safety valve, and fair use says that for very, a very specific set of purposes for criticism, commentary, um, when you really transform that underlying work um, and add new purpose and meaning to that work, that you can use, you can reuse a work without permission. Certain circumstances where without permission you can reuse another person's work. And a lot of this stems back and is connected to basic kind of freedom of speech uh, and allowing people uh, the ability to comment on and speak about the culture that's around them. So fair use, you really have four factors. You look at first purpose and character of the use, and you've got to look at these factors every time. They, They work out, they play out a little different, 
Um, and I guess before I even get into factors, fair use is relevant because when you get to distributing your film, I'll tell you what happens a lot, is people finish up their film, they go to distribute, they have a little bit of success getting a distributor <clears throat> or even some direct um, you know, broadcaster or maybe even you know, a streaming service like Netflix or Amazon wants to pick up the film. But what's the first thing they'll say to you is, do you have the E&O insurance? You know, show me, do you have the E&O insurance? You, and you typically right. have to have it to get distribution. Fair use is relevant here because anything you used in the film without permission, that's part of the insurance company's, the insurance company is covering you <clears throat> in the case that you um, might get sued for copyright infringement. And so they want to know how much and what is in the film that without permission. And they want to know that if you put something in the film without permission, that a lawyer has looked at it. So this is something that at New Media Rights, this is, this is something we do a lot. We, especially with documentary films, um, <clears throat> we take a look at those films, we look clip by clip, and we do an analysis. And the analysis starts with purpose and character of the use. <clears throat> you know, is the use commercial or not? A commercial use is a little bit less likely to be fair use, but it, just because you have a film, most filmmakers are trying to <laughs> are trying to make ends meet and be able to produce their at least produce their next project and hopefully make some money. And um, that doesn't mean that you can't make fair use though. So the second part of the first, the purpose and character of your use is tr is is it transformative or not? Now most of the case law shows that this is the most important factor uh, currently for for pretty much every every court in the United States. And what you think about here is, again, did you add new purpose, <clears throat> meaning, or message to the original? The famous case is uh, Two Live Crew versus Roy Orbison, where Two Live Crew, uh, a rap group from the late 80s, early 90s, was making a parody of, uh, of Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman. And so they sort of changed all the lyrics, and just took a little bit of the riff to, to, to make people um, familiar with what song they were sort of having fun with and, and making fun of. And in that case, that was found to be a parody because it was very, very far from the original. It wasn't the original. It was really actually directly commenting upon the original. And so, you know, that is the most important factor. And you can transform things in a variety of ways. Um, and we see it a lot online, uh, sometimes done really, really effectively and sometimes done not so well. Um, but, you know, a lot of re what, what's called remix created, uh, creators or mashups, um, they're all sort of on the boundaries of working on the boundaries and frontiers of what, um, what is fair use. And so with fair use, a lot of times with documentaries are also great examples of fair use. So, you know, a good example would be uh, we have uh, uh, someone we've worked with in the past that has a great film, and we have the story up on our site about um, the way that folks from the Middle East have been portrayed for the last hundred years in the media, uh, in Western media. And so, like, if you're so if you're trying to tell that story, there's no way you can tell that story without using movies from the 1920s and 30s and, and news clips from the 40s and 50s and 60s and, and, and through to today and popular TV shows and films along the way. You can't tell that story without 
using clips from those from those films and those news reports. But uh, you know, a lot of times, so you have to really be adding new meaning or message. Um, the second factor is really nature of the copyrighted work. Uh, this tends to not be determinative, but more like music is really special. It's very hard to get fair use with music. And it's important to know in a film that if you just have music in your film because you just like the way it sounds, right, you just like the aesthetic of it, that's typically not going to, um, that's typically not going to be within uh, fair use. It's typically not going to be protected by fair use. So you, you likely have to get a license in those, in that case. Uh, but more factual things are are less protected. Uh, also, it's important to know that unpublished unpublished things are a lot more protected. So that's in factor two. Also, if you use something that's unpublished, uh, it definitely makes it a lot less likely it'll be fair use. Uh, num- the factor three is really important, uh, and that's amount of substantiality. Right? You just want to take you don't you just want to take just as much as you need to make your point a lot of times in a documentary. Um, <clears throat> and that's a little bit imprecise as to exactly what the law is, but, but I think it's a good rule of thumb for documentary filmmakers to think about. You know, use what you need to make your commentary, make your point. Um, so if you, if you need, you know, 20 or 30 seconds and that makes your point great, uh, you don't need to let it, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't need to let it go on for three minutes. And so... You know, use just as much as you you need to make your point, um, and it it has to do with the amount you take as well as as did you take the the heart of the underlying work. <clears throat> and the last and, and very important factor as well is is did you affect the market for the work, right? So in this case, if you just put a song behind your YouTube video or your film, and somebody can just listen to that song instead of going to iTunes or Amazon to buy it, then that's a big problem. Um, but if you created sort of a, a parody song or something like that, it might be a very, very different case uh, because it's not really replacing the market for the original. And in, when you think about market, you also think about not just the, not just the direct sales market, but also the, any secondary market. So uh, for music, there are markets for samples and shorter clips. So just because you use 10 seconds of a three-minute song doesn't mean you don't affect the market uh, for that for that song. So fair use can be a challenge. It's, it usually comes up a lot more in documentary film, although uh, it certainly comes up in fictional film as well. There's a lot of great examples. Even in recent films, um, I think there was a case from the Jersey Boys film uh, there's also been some, some fair uses in Selma, and there was fair use in, in the Steve Jobs film, I believe, as well. So there's, it's just really important to be able to, to tell stories. This sounds wonderful. Now, let me just uh, get that website again from you, newmediarights.org backslash fair use. Exactly. You got it. That's, that's, the, that's the website for our app. And then we're also experts. You know, if you want to go to newmediarights.org and click on Contact Us, um, we, we definitely do. Uh, we take on individual clients. We're actually a nonprofit program. Um, we actually have folks who are su- supporters, um, you know, who, 
who um, give to us, and then we also we, we work with folks who typically don't have access to a lawyer. And so a lot of the projects we take on are bootstrap projects or projects that might not have a huge budget, um, but they need some fair use review, they need some kind of help with copyright or licensing. And so if they have questions about that, because they, you know, they are, I know, we, you know, there's a lot that you can know for yourself, but they are kind of complicated areas, fair use certainly is. Um, it's something where you certainly can use the app, but you also can, can come to us and, and ask us a question via our contact form. And, and um, if we have the bandwidth, we might be able to take you on as a client. But if not, uh, we also try to, we respond to everybody and we try to, um, give people the knowledge they need to, to know where to go at least. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Art. We really appreciate that. But to buy your book, where do we go to do that? Because I highly recommend it. Absolutely. So you can go right to Amazon and just type Don't Panic Legal Guide, um, or you can go to our site, newmediarights.org slash book, and that will give you directions on, on where you can buy that book. Um, but, yes, it's, it's available through Amazon. Um, what I can even do if you'd like is I can send you a, a code if you want to share that on your website for your, for your um, listeners, and they can, they can get a couple, couple dollars off the book. But it's, a, it's pretty affordable right now. It's only $14.99, so it's a very affordable book, and that's, that's our intent. You know, our intent was to be uh, an affordable resource. I guess the other thing I'd say about the book is if anybody out there teaches in the space of film or teaches in a, uh, you know, a, a creative or, or business, um, teaches a creative or business class, uh, we've had nine classes uh, across the country adopt the book already uh, in their classrooms with non-lawyers. So it's been adopted in film production, media studies, uh, and a couple other entrepreneurial type classes, including uh, an MFA program at the graduate level. And because a lot of these folks, when they're coming out now of film school, et cetera, they have to wear a lot more hats. They have to wear a lot yeah. of business and, and legal hats. And so our idea was to have this, you know, they could have this on the, their shelf. You know, if somebody tells them, their investor says, well, you got to get insurance, and they can, you know, they say something about that. Maybe they can go and read up on it and know, okay, here's the different types of insurance, you know, uh, uh, now I know what they're talking about, <laughs> and, and now I know what to even ask for. And so it's, Absolutely. you know, it's, it's a, yeah. so the place to go for answers. Well, we thank you, Claire and I sincerely thank you, Art, for joining us and sharing all this knowledge. Thank you so much, Carol and Claire. I, it was my pleasure to be on the show. Yes, very so, grateful. Uh, and, and you yes, keep up the good work. We'll keep. We'll. Uh, our filmmakers will love it. Thank you. Absolutely, and I appreciate the work that y'all are doing up there. I was, uh, you know, I've been checking things out, and it's just, it's really great. I mean, filmmakers need a place to be fiscally sponsored and to to help with all that business side of how do you how do you promote your project, how do you get investment. Um, I find that that's, you know, on both ends. I think at the very beginning there, like you know, which, getting your pitch, getting your, you know, how you how you kind of sell your project. Uh, to the folks who are going to be involved with you, and then on the on the back end too, I think we're figuring out 
filmmakers get excited with distribution deals and aren't quite sure what to what to do with those, but they're very excited about getting them. But it's good not to jump right in. It's good to know know what you're getting in return. Um, it's just great what you all are doing up there as well. <laughs> Thank you, Bart. We sincerely appreciate it because we work very hard to educate people as much as we can. Thanks, Claire, for a great show. Oh, yes. Always good. Always good conversation. Okay, take care, everyone, and be well. Thank you, Art. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.